Why do you think Jesus told us to be plain and simple in our language? If you have your scriptures with you, you might want to turn to Matthew chapter 5, and we will review this part of the Sermon on the Mount. Last week, we talked about the practice of looking for loopholes in the divorce law so that we could justify trading up in relationships. This week, Jesus extends that looking for loopholes in our vows to one another, in our basic honesty, our basic integrity. It says in verse 33, these are the words of Jesus. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told. Now, I want you to get the pattern again. Jesus says, this is the traditional standard of holiness. What you can see, your behavior, what's on the outside. That's what the scribes and Pharisees command you to do. But I want you to have a righteousness that exceeds that. It's deeper, it's higher, it's more meaningful, it's more permanent. It's a matter of the heart. It's not a matter of your behavior. It's not a matter of your mouth. It's a matter of your heart. It's at the center of your life. So that's what kind of righteousness we're going for. Now, he says, you shall not make false vows. This is what they were told. But shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, Make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. They, ha they used to swear, just like we do, but instead of saying, swear to God, they'd say, uh, uh, on my grandmother's life. On my, on my, and, and, they, and they would say, uh, I, the, the modern day analogy to this, this would be, if I don't, if I don't uh, keep this promise, you can take my head. The modern day analogy would be, uh, I swear it, uh, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. That'd be the not modern day. In, in other words, if I don't do this, I hope I die. Trying to get people to believe you, he says. But let your statement be, yes. Yes or no. No. And anything beyond these is of the evil one. Now, let me give you a little fuller descriptive, uh, description into what he, was, what he was facing. There was a practice in the Old Testament of vowing to God in order to bring God into the commitment. And one of those, I put several of those uh, references down in your sermon outline, but one of those references is Numbers chapter 30, verse 2. And I want to show you how the swearing moved from the beginning to the end over the years. And it was a different kind of swearing. Because human nature, being as it is, wanted to create the fewest number of binding obligations and wanting the maximum amount of freedom changed the emphasis of these vows. Same vows, different emphasis. They started out like this. If a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to bind himself with a binding obligation, he shall not violate his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. You see... It simply emphasizes human integrity. Do what you said you were going to do. 
Now, through the years, there comes a different emphasis in this, one of an implied loophole. Listen to this. I'll read the same verse. If a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to bind himself with a binding obligation, he shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. He shall not violate his words. You get the, you get the intent of that. In other words, what people did then was to avoid the name of the Lord, but try to make it appear like they were swearing honestly. I swear to heaven. I, I swear on, 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 on all that is sacred on, on this earth. I swear by my dead grandmother's grave. I, I swear, you see, what they tried to do was try to not include the name of the Lord because then they could get out of their obligation. But Jesus said, wait a minute. Isn't all the earth the Lord's? Doesn't it say that in, in, in Psalm 24? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Isn't everybody the Lord and all the people, all those who dwell therein? Jesus is saying, wait a minute. Is God detached from heaven that you just swore? Is God detached from the earth? Is God detached from Jerusalem? Is God detached from your head? How can you keep God out of this vow? No. Every vow is binding. Now, what Jesus was trying to get us to see was two things. First of all, he was trying to get us to see that we have a tendency to want to shift responsibility to somebody else so that we don't have to own up to it ourselves. And we have some marvelous ways of doing this. First of all, we say, you know what? Everybody lies. And therefore, we don't really need to believe in anything. I mean, you've got you to accept the fact that we live in a, in a society of exaggeration. And it's, it's normal in business. I mean, where would I be if I didn't exaggerate a little? Where would I be if I didn't give them a deadline? I knew I couldn't. I, couldn't, I wouldn't even get the job. It's normal. You don't believe. You, you, you don't understand the bind I'm in here. And so we, we, you know, we learn to accept it in business. We learn to accept it in advertising. Of course they're not presenting all the story. Of course they're not presenting the downside of their goods. Of course they're not saying, but you may not want. Of course they're, they're making this thing look like unbelievable. Several years ago, there was an advertising campaign about Azuzu. Remember Joe Azuzu? And he'd come in and he'd make these unbelievable statements and, then, and there'd be a little thing, he's lying, you know, it really you know, does. And, and, and sales went up 20% because somebody finally said, the guy's lying. And it, and it gave some credibility. I hear it in churches. People who want to give glory to God will exaggerate their testimony. I, I've, I've, see, I've seen people... God do wonderful things for people, but somehow people think they've got to make it more glorious or more instantaneous or more resolute. And, and all of a sudden, I'm standing beside somebody, I've seen a miracle work in his life, but all of a sudden it's like 15 miracles and, and God just solved my whole life in that one deal immediately. And I'm going, wait a minute, that's an exaggeration. That's, that's, that's a form of not really giving God glory because you had to build his story up yourself. And so there's this basic dishonesty. And it's especially um, 
called into being when we are put on the, on the spot. Something we've done wrong. And, and, we, and we try to slant the story, you know, toward it being somebody else's fault. Trying to look better than we really are. I mean, I see this in the church all the time. You want to know the problem with the world? They. They're the problem. How often in the church do you hear the word they? As opposed to the word we. How often do you hear, how do you often in, in the church do you hear the word, word world? It's the world. That's, what, that's what's wrong with the world. It's the world. I hardly ever say, you know, it's my fault. Because I got this little deal. I don't know. I can't handle the world. That's too big a nut for me to crack. But I know what I've done wrong. And this is what I've got to correct. Very often it's the former. Because we want to shift the responsibility so we don't look so bad. And that's a very brilliant strategy, and it works all the time. I, I, I remember <laughs> uh, uh, an incident in my life when I first saw that thing employed, uh, this, this strategy employed brilliantly. When I was growing up, my, both my parents smoked. It was a thing to do. And, uh, and I had a, this buddy, Danny Brown, and his dad smoked. His mama didn't. But his dad did, and so we decided we'd just go smoke sometime because it looked like it was growing up, and we'd sneak, we'd sneak some cigarettes. I, I got some of my mother's Kent cigarettes, and he got some god-awful things from his dad. Uh, not that Kents aren't god-awful, but, but some unfiltered things. And, uh, and we snuck to the uh, uh, tennis courts at night, the, the, the uh, city tennis courts. And, and we huddled down there, and we got the ember thing going, you know, and we were saying, well, you know, it's not smoking unless you inhale. Yeah, I'm going to inhale. So we inhaled, you know. And, and you don't, and you just lie to each other. Yeah, it tastes pretty good. How's your taste? Yeah, it tastes. And we're dying, you know. I'm glad it's night because I'm dizzy. I'm turning green. Yeah, it doesn't bother me at all. It bother you? No, it doesn't bother me. Well, we decided after we got done with those cigarettes, we'd, we'd go to Danny's Brown's. So we staggered over to Brown's house. And I plopped down on the couch trying not to throw up. And, and uh, he, sat on a, he sat on a chair and, and his mama came in. And I remember, if I remember correctly, Danny Brown's mama was just the sweetest little, she's like a little Italian lady. She was just like as broad as she was tall. Had a bun on top of her head. Always smelled like salad dressing. Remember that. <laughs> And a woman walks in the room, took one sniff, turned to us and said, where you boys been smoking? She hardly got that out of her mouth before Danny was off his chair. Now, she's standing behind me. He's facing her. I can't see the expression on her face. But he's going, smoking? Smoking? I come home? And the first thing I get from my own mother is, where have you been smoking? I'm thinking, man, this guy is cool. This, this is really good. You know, the best defense, a good offense. Man, this guy is good. But he didn't stop there. He started going up and down, making speeches. Do you realize, Mom, all of the bad kids in this town, all of the stuff they do, I don't do it. They're out stealing cars. I never stole a car. They're out stealing candy. I never stole candy. They won't even come home curfewed. I come home way before my curfew. And all I get from you is smoking? <laughs> By this time, I'm sitting there thinking, 
Maybe I was smoking all alone. This guy couldn't. Maybe I didn't remember right. How could I have accused this? He doesn't stop there. And I'll tell you another thing, Mom. I'll tell you a basic problem that's wrong with this country. Parents don't trust children. They don't trust them. No, no. When they got a good thing going, they ruin it by coming in and accusing them. I cannot, I cannot believe you would accuse me of smoking. I am so insulted. I'm not even going to stay here. And he storms out. I could almost hear like band music, you know? It was like patriotic. It was like the most wonderful thing I've Tremendous speech. Danny Brown's mother turned to me and said, so where have you guys been smoking? <laughs> never bought Never bought it. Didn't buy it a bit. Now here's what I, here's what I want to... I want us to understand this. We've got this natural bent to want to justify anything we've done, don't we? And, and, and basically what we do is we compare ourselves to everybody else. And we spin this thing that says, I'm not so bad. I'm not so bad. Until we actually start believing it. I think that when Danny Brown walked out of that room last night, he was thinking he hadn't been smoking. If you say something long enough and loud enough, you actually start to believe it. You know that? You really do. If you say it forever, you could take a lie detector test and probably pass because you can convince yourself that's the truth. But God knows it's not the truth. God knows it's not the truth. Where does that come from? Where does that, that bent come from? Heaping up those words so that we will look like somebody that we're not, so that, so that we seem like we mean something we don't, so that we pretend like we'll do something we won't, where does that come from? It comes from wanting to justify ourselves. It comes from this very basic, and this is what's so dangerous about this tendency. You know, you say, well... Preacher, I know we shouldn't lie. I know all that, but it's just a little deal. I mean, everybody does it. Now, let me tell you how serious it is. And this is how, and we're going to go into Scripture and see just exactly how serious it is in a minute. Let me give you an analogy. I've been with some of you when you have learned that you had cancer. And that was a very scary thing. But... There's one thing that's more scary. And that is when the doctor says, not only have we discovered that you have cancer, but that thing that we examined is not the main source of the cancer. It's just a secondary deposit of the cancer. We've got to locate where that cancer's coming from. When Jesus talked about lying, he knew that it was just a sign of something that was much more radically wrong. Jesus said, you know, it's not what goes into a man's mouth that defiles him. It's what comes out of a man's mouth. Why? Because it shows what's in the heart. There is a basic, a basic problem. And when we try to look better than we are when we try to pretend that it's not our fault, that it's somebody else's fault, when we take the victim's role and we say, you know what, I just couldn't help it. 
the basic foundational, poisonous, death-producing flaw in us is self-justification. It's, it's believing that somehow we can make everything all right without admitting we've done wrong, without saying, I'm inadequate, without saying, you know what, only God can take care of this. And that is the very thing that makes us live in hell. As a matter of fact, if you could go to hell right now and hear those voices, I can almost guarantee that every voice in hell would be saying this. You know what? I can understand why all the rest of those people are here. But I'm not that bad a guy. I'm not that bad a person. I mean, compared with all the rest of them, I think there's been a mistake here. There are still people who are trying to justify themselves, trying to think they're better than they are. The great Protestant Reformation theology says this. You know what? It comes as a great relief to admit we're all sinners. We're all sinners. None of us do this thing right. And until you can admit that, here's what happens. Satan continues to help us lie. And we become better at it. You know people as well as I do that have a lot. I, I keep wanting to say, I come from a non-Christian family, so we use very colorful language. And there's a line of what they, the initials for this is BS. There's, a lot, there's just a line. These guys are so good at what they do. And they, get, they, can, they can just fool anybody with anything. And it looks like their lives are wonderful on the outside. It looks like their charm can get them anywhere. But what happens in a spiritual sense is that there is this death inside of them that continues to grow because they can't live honestly. Look at John chapter 8, verse 44, real quickly with me. Jesus, by the way, described these people in Matthew 23, 27, where he says, you know what, you guys are so pretty on the outside. I mean, you look uh, like whitewashed uh, tombs. Full of dead men's bones. You say just the right thing. You do just the right thing. But everybody knows what your heart's like. Now I, want, I want you to see how in the Bible, spiritual death is connected with telling lies, even in the form of exaggeration. You know the French word for exaggeration, don't you? Resume. It says... <laughs> It says in, in uh, John 8, 44, <clears throat> you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the de desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning. In other words, he's trying to kill you. Don't you understand? When the serpent in the garden said, look, you can do this deal on your own. You don't need God. What was the result? Spiritual death. The wages of sin is what? Death. And so anytime the devil can get us to believe that we're totally adequate in ourselves, we can handle this deal, we're going to end up in spiritual death. It says, your father's a murderer. He was from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so we can live this existence that looks great on the outside. I mean, we've got wonderful language. We're charming. 
We're this, we're that, we've got the perfect home, we've got the perfect this, we've got the perfect... I'm a Christian. Yeah, I can talk all this Christianese you want and be dead in a doornail inside. Let me give you a, a very... This, this is the most powerful illustration I've ever heard. I tell it very seldom because, because lots of times people concentrate more on the illustration than the truth. But, but I, it, just, it just is a perfect image of, for me what Satan does when he implants lies into our heart. Um, my brother-in-law... Uh, was a biology major at Ball State University. And one summer he took uh, a special class in Belize, in the jungles of Belize. And he <clears throat> um, had this guide, this like huge jungle woman guide. I mean, she, was, she, loved, she loved living in the jungle. She loved all the creatures and she knew everything. And she'd take, come on, Mark, come on. And she'd take him out, you know, and he'd go along with her in the jungle and she'd be pointing stuff out. Fascinating stuff, absolutely. One day they were walking along in the jungle, and she just pulled him down in the bushes. He go, and she thought, he thought, what in the world's going on? And she said, look. And he looked out into this clearing and saw in the middle of this clearing this tarantula, huge tarantula, that was on the back of its legs, and the front of its legs were fighting or in this fighting position and coming at this tarantula was this huge wasp the name of it is literally tarantula wasp i mean there's a, they're, they're almost as big as an emperor moth and they were having this fight and this tarantula was trying to sink its its uh, fangs in this in this wasp and finally this wasp comes down and it is joined together and then just started rolling around mark said i've never seen anything like this in my life and and then everything went still. The whole thing stopped. And Mark turned to his guide and said, so they killed each other. And his guide said, no, no, watch, watch. And after a few moments of silence and stillness, after he had watched that tarantula sink its fangs into the wasp, and the wasp sink her stinger into its abdomen. And after Mark had assumed that both had killed each other, the movement came. The tarantula started moving around, kicked off the wasp. The wasp lay dead on its back. And the tarantula righted itself and slowly went back into the jungle. And so Mark turned to his guide and said, so the tarantula won. And the guide said, it only looks that way. Because what you didn't see and what you didn't understand was that while that wasp was stinging that tarantula in its abdomen, she was also depositing her eggs. And those eggs will live and grow in that tarantula, unbeknownst to him, sucking the life juices he needs until finally one day he is dead and the children of his enemy are birthed out of his carcass. Gross, huh? <laughs> Graphic, huh? Let me tell you something about Satan. Let me tell you something about sin. 
That's not as ugly as what happens in us when we live a lie. You see, those take the energy we need for the good stuff of life. Now, it's not that if you are saved, you don't stay saved. Once you give your life to Christ, you're a child of the king, you're going to heaven, but you know what? You can live an empty, sucked dry, artificial, hellish life down here on earth, even as a Christian. Because you've chosen to try to pretend to be somebody you're not. And to try to get glory for yourself instead of getting glory for God. And try to justify what we do instead of what God is doing through us. You know what a relief it is to not have to be, not have to claim to be the ideal dad or the ideal husband. What a relief it is to say, you know what, I'm just learning as I go along. I don't know any more than you do. What a relief it is. To be able to say, I can't do anything without God. Jesus said that. If Jesus said that, how could we not say that? How can we really make believe, don't worry, I got this thing under control. We don't have this thing under control. What a relief it is. What a relief it is not to have to come out ahead every time. What an inspiration it is every once in a while to, to see somebody who just says, you know what? I don't care who wins. I just want what God's doing to get done. I don't care who gets the credit. This, this past week, I had a couple of, of calls that were just so inspirational. Some pastor from Arizona, Scottsdale, Arizona calls, somehow got a hold of a tape, uh, uh, the Missions Weekend tape, where I said, you know, some, somewhere, someday, there has to be uh, a church that's uh, everywhere, every day. And, and we, we need to become a non-geographically based church. We just can't keep growing into a bigger, bigger church. We've got to distribute ministry all over the place. He called me up and said, you know, I'm on my second church plant. I want to plant about three more churches, and we want to be a part of whatever you're doing. He did, I mean, you don't get calls like this from pastors. Pastors pour all of their energy into their own little deal. But here was a guy, totally selfless, just say, I think... That's of God. I just want to be a part of it. I don't care who's, who thought of it first. I don't care who's doing it. I just want to be a part. Include us in. Last week, I, we got a, 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 a call from Episcopal uh, priest in Maine. His daughter goes here, sends him the tapes. He, 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 he loves the tapes. And he said, you know, my wife and I have been praying. Now, this, this guy's the head of his own church. We've been praying for something that we could contribute to the kingdom. And what we'd like to do is put on your radio show up here. Would that be okay? I'm thinking, people don't do this. You know, he's, he's not rich. People in ministry aren't rich. Why would he not give all his money to build his church up for his reputation? Why? Because he's decided just to do what he sees God doing. What, a really, what an inspiration that is. To not have to always come out in front. To not always have to look good in everybody else's eyes. To just do whatever you see God doing. That's what I'd like to challenge us with today. Would you pray with me? God, I know my tendency to want to look good. 
I know my desire to not need you, to make it on my own in the eyes of people. But God, you know as well as I do. In in Lloyd's words, you just come and strip us bare. There's no way I can do that. I can't do anything without you. And I want you to have the credit. I don't want to chase after all these little things on earth. I don't want to have to remember what I said because I exaggerated this or I, or I, or I pretended to be that. I don't want the pressure that comes with being any less or any more than what I am to you. Father, teach me. Teach us all that if we were worth dying for on the cross, that's all the worth we need. Teach us to be satisfied with that and to live not only in that grace, but in gratitude. We pray in Jesus' name.